This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Hi, welcome to Reading Teacher's Lounge. This is season five, episode 12. Today, Mary and I are going to be talking about building vocabulary. I am Shannon Betts. I have been teaching since 2002. I have been a homeroom teacher in kindergarten, first, second, and third grade, and I've been a reading specialist all the way to eighth grade. Currently, I'm working part-time as a resource teacher for reading at a private school. You can find me online at RDNG Development on Twitter and Instagram and readingdevelopment.com on the internet. (laughs) I'm Mary Sagafi. I currently work as a dyslexia advocate and also as a private tutor. Um, I have been a special ed teacher and an elementary ed teacher in all grades, K through five. And um, Shannon and I are really diving deep today um, into vocabulary because um, it's something that we have been really wanting to talk about more. And it often is a topic that kind of drips drifts in and out of our conversations, but um, we would really like to kind of just chat with you all and and chat with each other about some great strategies to help improve children's vocabulary. Yeah. And And what goes into teaching, what goes into covering vocabulary in a classroom Mm -hmm. and feeling like you're really addressing that strand of the, you know, of Scarborough's reading group. So um, I'll be honest, I don't feel like I could tackle it before season five because I haven't been very good at teaching vocabulary um, up until this point in my career. I've done, I've delved into context clues and teaching students, you know, how to use those to um, cobble together a sort of understanding of a definition. Um, You know, I've done my usual like vocabulary unit when it came up in the reading series. Usually it was in the spring and we worked a little bit on synonyms and antonyms and homophones and homonyms and heterophones and things like that, but, or heteronyms, I mean, and homonyms, but I, it wasn't something that was part of my daily writing instruction, I mean, writing and reading instruction. Mm-hmm. And um, I, ta- I taught a lot kind of in the moment, but it wasn't intentional. It was just sort of if a student told me, oh, I don't know what that word means. You know, we would talk about strategies to figure it out, but I never was really intentional about working on building vocabulary. But we went through PSYOP training this year, which is Sheltered Instruction Observational Protocol, which is an ESOL um way of teaching ESOL students, mm-hmm. kind of a model for teaching ESOL students, English language learners. And th- we learned a lot at our school about being more explicit with teaching vocabulary. And also as we delved into science of reading last season, and then the reading brain this year, um, I've just realized that vocabulary is something that I've needed to work on in my own professional practice. And so um, I'd like to start off by sharing what we're doing with my sixth grade class this year and what we've changed. So um, actually, before we go into that, I'd just say like, there's a lot that goes into vocabulary. So we're going to talk about in this episode, morphology, teaching shades of meaning, 
teaching comma phones, context clues, using routines to teach vocabulary, making sure you discuss idioms with students, and then also explicitly teaching tier two words. Um, and so that's what I'm going to talk about right now is the tier two words. And tier two words, there's three types of tiers of words, if you haven't heard of that before. And tier one is just sort of an everyday word like child or baby. They've heard those words in their everyday speech. They already know what those meanings are. Tier three is like those very specific scientific words like photosynthesis or chrysalis, you know, or even some mathematical terms like regrouping. They're only going to be used in like one context, and it's usually an academic context. Tier two words are those words that I guess just make they make you sound more educated. It's in the more formal register. Right. It's so words like, like academic and procedural words. Yeah. Or, or, or even like, just words like frustrated. Instead of saying I'm mad, if a student says frustrated. Um, I had a student who said the word, I felt limited in my choices. And I'm like, oh, you used a tier two vocabulary word. <laughs> limited nice. is a great word. You know yeah, what I'm saying? I, I like to think of it as like a word that you would encourage your students to use when they're stretching their writing too. Exactly. Like it's um, a word you would um, substitute for the word said, like muttered or stammered or whispered or yelled. Those are all tier two words. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those have to be explicitly taught either to students who are English language learners or to students who might have grown um up in an environment that was less language rich mm -hmm. and maybe they entered a school um, even if they are a native English speaker but maybe they entered school with less oral vocabulary than um, some other peers they might need more explicitly taught tier two words and so um, we have some resources that are going to be in our show notes that you definitely want to check out where if you're not sure looking in a passage, what the tier two words might be. There are actually some websites that you can enter a passage, copy and paste a passage in there, and then they will um, highlight those tier two words to kind of bring them to your attention. Um, for my grade level that I'm working with sixth grade, I'm co-teaching. I've talked about that this year, co-teaching with the sixth grade teacher. And we explicitly taught some tier two words that were in the novel studies that we've done. Mm -hmm. But then also just to not reinvent the wheel, we all, we are also using what's in the basal. I mean, the wonders text, that's what's um, my school has chosen. And it has vocabulary built in um, and it teaches them at the front of each week. And then it features them in like little um, context sentences at the beginning and then it features them in the story later on in the week. And so the students are getting multiple exposures with those words. And at the beginning of the year, the teacher um, was doing a routine that it just, it just, he looked at the data and realized it wasn't very effective. The students were not scoring well on their vocabulary assessments. And it also was taking a large portion of the class time to do it. Mm -hmm. And so what he was having the students do was just look at the passage and try to come up with the definition using the context clues. Okay. The problem with that was they were guessing and a lot of times they were guessing wrong. And so they were spending time learning the incorrect definition of a word. Right. And so, um, I'm like, I think, I think let's try some other things. And he was like, yes, I think we should try some other things because 
the, the you know the students are not learning this way and it can be done better so we um looked at a lot of english language learner resources um we looked at our sign training books and then i just even google just best ways to teach english language learners vocabulary mm-hmm. <laughs> and um we tweaked and came up with a routine and the very first time we implemented the routine in the class it worked so well i mean the teacher's jaw just dropped and he was like this is the way we're doing it from now on and it has gone so well the students grades have gone up and they're getting better at writing sentences they're getting better at using this vocabulary and adding it and learning it for life and not just learning it for the week that we're teaching it and so i wanted to share what we did so instead of having the students come up with their own definition we are explicitly teaching the definition and we're explicitly teaching it in a student-friendly way so the wonders vocabulary each week is eight words and instead of doing it in the order of like one through eight like they are in the book we're grouping them by parts of speech so we're teaching the verbs first then the nouns and then the adjectives and for example um the other day the verb was chattering And so we came up with a student-friendly definition for chattering. And we, I'm going to put a picture of this on the website so people know what we're talking about. But we give the student a one-page table that has the words in bold and has the definitions with all but one or two words missing. And so the students have to listen to us teach the definition very explicitly and then fill in the missing words. And we purposely chose the most important words to be missing. I and really so- like that. Don't forget that, you know, your kids, if you want them to pay attention, you need to like shine the flashlight on the words that you really want them to know and listen for. So if you provide that scaffold for them, then they are going to anticipate the word that you're saying, shine the flashlight, you know, make exactly. it really bright on what you want the kids to focus on. Yeah. So for example, the word nomadic was one of our adjectives and the definition that we had in the, on the handout was living with no fixed blank. And so the students have to listen to us say nomadic, nomadic is an adjective that means living with no fixed location. And they have to fill in location really quickly while they're listening and we're talking about it. And then the teacher and I are both using that word in a sentence and the students are quickly, quickly, quickly kind of filling in those two or three missing words. Even even the slowest writers can keep up because they're only having to write two or three words. And then we show uh, a slideshow of like, these are the, you know, these are the definitions for the nouns. And we give them like a minute to kind of fill in if they somehow missed it when we were talking about it. And um, that really helps with them remembering those like, okay, nomadic means something about a location because they've written down location to go with the word nomadic. Then we also have the word, the students use the word in a sentence. And then we also have the students come up with the noun. If, if, for example, for nomadic, we have them come up with the noun and the verb form. Since we already gave them the adjective form, we have them come up with the noun form is nomad. Um, Or mentor was a noun. So then they had to come up with mentorship or mentor is the verb or mentoring is the adjective. And so that way they're learning 24 words at one time and not just eight because they're learning all the different 
other forms of it. So we are building in morphology right there just by changing some of the suffixes and prefixes and things like that to change the part of speech. And it also really, really helps them in terms of writing their sentences, because a lot of the times the students are very good at, especially the English language learners are very good at coming up with um, sentences with a verb, like I chatter, they can say that, you know, but, um, or like I adjust I adjust the temperature. But then when they have to use it as a noun, like adjustment, they'll sometimes say I adjustment. A lot of times the English language learners, this is sixth grade, but it happens in a lot of grades. They will just say I and then the verb, the verb word, and they, they think they're using it as a verb, but really it's a noun. And so I have to say, no, a noun is something you have or something you show. So I have made an adjustment or I showed this adjustment. That's the way to use it as a noun. And so what we're able to do is when we're walking around and giving feedback, we can say, oh, you just use this correctly as a verb. Go write that sentence as the in the verb box, but you need to go make a change and use it as a noun instead this way. And so the students are getting a lot of practice. They're getting grammar practice as well and working on syntax while we're working on vocabulary. That's what I was just about to add in. I love that you have so many skills that are kind of woven together. um, Because especially with teaching morphology, you want them to have that exposure that the beginnings or endings can really make a difference in the um, definition of the word and how it is phrased in the sentence. And also the grammar depends on (laughs) what this is, and they should be able to identify those words. Um, and and understand what you're asking of them as part of language, not just the definition of the words, but saying this is a noun. I know it's a noun because um, I think especially in sixth grade, if it's kind of sink or swim. I remember teaching my fifth graders and I was astounded how many children did not understand the difference even between a noun and a verb. Mm-hmm. And um you know, I, I think it, it's sort of as, like they know it. They know the book definition of, oh, okay, a noun is a person, place, or thing, and a verb is an action, but then they don't actually recognize that function in the sentence. Right, right, right. And so it, it gets, it, it's powerful when you can unlock that for them because it's a code, right? The sentence mm-hmm. um, comes together like code. And uh, I think it's really important. It's just as important as teaching the phonics skills too, of saying, you know, this is a digraph. The digraph changes, or this is um, a, a prefix or a suffix, making sure that you're building in that academic vocabulary um, so that they know what they're doing even at a young age. I think that's really powerful. Well, another I, word that was in that in that section of eight vocabulary words in the wonders um, was reunites. And a lot of the students used that incorrectly because they did not use it as a present tense verb. And they also didn't use it with the singular subject. So because it had an S on it, they tried to put in a um, a compound subject and say somebody and somebody else reunites. And I'm like, you can't do that. You can say the family reunites because that's one that's one noun or one subject or my brother reunites with my sister or, you know, uh, he reunites with his lost dog, but you can't say he and his lost dog reunites. You can't say that. That's It's too many subjects with that reunite with an S on it. So we were able to talk about present tense. We were able to talk about subject verb agreement in addition to talk about the meaning of the word. I, I kind of want to like go back and reemphasize this because, you know, just like at the beginning where you said that vocabulary was maybe a weaker area that you 
you know, felt like it was difficult to accomplish and feel really confident in um, each of your lessons. But um, I also say I, I have not, I have worked in schools who have English language learners, but not to the same percentile that that the school where you're currently working at has. And so I think that when you commonly work with a lot of English language learners, you often gloss over those structures of the English language. So I think it's really important to kind of like spin back and and, and really appreciate how and why you describe words this way. And it's not just because we say it that way. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to call that... Well, and also we're getting opportunities to give the students this really explicit feedback because we're asking the students to write three sentences for each word because they're asking, we're asking them to write the noun form of the word, the verb form of the word, and the adjective form of the word. And so the students are able to kind of, they almost, we want them really, we're trying to guide them to kind of write the same sentence three different ways, you know, um, with like, you know, if it's um, he reunites with this lost dog and then we can say he and his lost dog had a reunion or something like that or he um was so happy to find his find his reunited dog and so they're kind of all related but they're seeing how you change around the order of the words in the sentence to um use those as different parts of speech and if having the students come up with those sentences themselves is such a good glimpse into their own understanding and um we welcome mistakes in, in the class because then we can help them because um, then we see how they're understanding the words and we know how to help them. And so um, I think that's so important in any vocabulary instruction is to immediately have the student not just work on the definition, but to put it in context and use, make a complicated sentence, not just a simple sentence, but as complicated sentence as possible that sort of demonstrates the definition will really give you an understanding if the student is, um, learning that vocabulary word. I think that there's another piece too that's um, something that we all infer, but it's having a safe place where students can make mistakes yes. and making sure that it is okay that uh, if you don't create a perfect sentence that you know the environment supports you because we want to keep challenging you um, to make it more. Um, yeah, so I, I think one is creating that safe space and the other is really helping students to develop the metacognition to be able to um, stretch themselves. And, and to say, and huh, I don't know what that word means. Mm-hmm. And then to yeah. feel comfortable enough with you to be able to trust you to say, I don't know what that word means. Because that is sort of embarrassing sometimes to be like, what did you mean? I don't understand what you said. Sure. But if you can build that trust with the student, that's going to let you, that's going to let you open their minds to building more vocabulary for sure. And I also think providing experiences for students to be able to communicate with each other using these tier two words Mm -hmm. um, or even tier three, depending on what subject you're talking about. So those would be like more specific to the subject area, like isotopes and science or something, but making sure that you're using that um, with language within the classroom and allowing to kids to have peer conferences together to discuss and and use that academic language in a way that um, is meaningful. Well, and what the teacher and I will do too is um, at the last five minutes of class um, during the vocabulary period, we will divide the kids into eight groups and we'll give each of the groups one of the words and they have three minutes to come up with a skit to demonstrate the word. And so if the word's nomadic, 
you know, they're demonstrating, I don't know, moving from place to place. And then the class has to raise their hand and guess that that's the word nomadic that they're acting out. Um, I have to put my dyslexia hat on because um, I love talking about this, but in most cases, at least in my, my experience, um, students who have dyslexia tend to be very strong um, in other areas of language, especially with vocabulary and um, have a lot of different insights and, and are very um, much able to orally talk about things in a more complicated way than some of their peers. So when you are working on vocabulary, I would suggest that you really give opportunities to students who may not be as um, ready to share in a phonics instruction, but maybe they would be really excited to work on vocabulary. And um, I'll tell you, when I was teaching, the way that I really I really focused on this was using thinking maps. So in our school, we were trained with thinking maps and then writing with thinking maps as well. And I loved using these visuals to help students when they were either trying to understand the concept or trying to um, develop writing, even with simple sentences. So um, if you are unfamiliar with thinking maps, we'll put a link to it. Um, it is not a graphic organizer, but it is a way of visually structuring the language that you use within your classroom and then giving that visual to students to do that. So for example, um, let's say we were talking about a new vocabulary word and I wanted to use a bubble map. A bubble map looks similar to a web um, that you would you know, typically use. And so, you know, we would stretch it out. Sometimes on one of the bubbles that would extend from the center, we may put a sentence or a phrase that would describe something. We may draw a picture. We may also have, um, uh, you know, two characters that we could use to describe what they were doing so that when the students go back to their desk to write their sentence, they have some keywords and phrases that they can use from based on what we've already talked about. And so then they use the sentence structure themselves to create this. So it, it's similar, but I really appreciated the um, training that I received because I feel like I'm, I was doing a pretty good job of leading the class in a verbal discussion, but this really gave my students the ability to take what I said, leave it as a placeholder on the board <laughs> where I was drawing that map and then come back and then apply it on their own. So um, I, I think that that's excellent training too. There are eight different types of maps. So sometimes we would talk about a bridge map and using analogies, and that would be another way of describing. Um, so so for me, that was, that was really um, wonderful because I also, like you, you can weave in a lot of skills. Um, and when you have this, it, it kind of calls attention to those things that you may not be doing as well, such as extending your vocabulary mm -hmm. um, instruction in the classroom. So, well, and I like what you said right at the beginning of um, some students might feel more comfortable with the vocabulary as opposed to the phonics or whatever. And um, when, whenever we do the skits, like one student in particular comes to mind, he's the most reluctant reader in the class and he's not confident when we do any sort of reading task, but um, the first time we did the skits, his uh, group had forecast as the word, and he immediately turns around and becomes like a completely different person. And he puts on this like country persona of a weatherman. And he's like, 
well, I reckon we're going to have a whole bunch of tornadoes this weekend. <laughs> like We were all like screaming, forecast, forecast. And he did such a good job of acting out the word. And I had no idea that that, that was even in him. And so sometimes you don't know uh, what the students are capable of until you give them an opportunity that's not quite as typical as some of the regular academic tasks you do. I love it. I, I, yeah, that's a perfect example of how you can really reach all of your students too. Um, I read something that I thought was kind of interesting. So, you know, I was talking about how I was teaching with analogies a lot of times, and sometimes we would use um, antonyms to describe what's the opposite of things. Um, there is a little caveat in here, and I think it's a good caveat in this article. Um, the article that I'm I'm looking at is um, how to teach vocabulary for reading comprehension by Amina McLean, and we're linking to it um, in our show notes. But she says, you know, don't teach too many um, antonyms. It really can confuse the students. So be really, really obvious when you're teaching an antonym. I think that that's really, um, that's something I know that it does seem obvious, but I think that our students can easily get confused. And for me, what I notice is um, when I have students come to me who have gaps in their learning, you know, sometimes they're focusing out the window and focusing on the sound of the clock or something. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not really obvious with what you're teaching them, they may actually get the wrong instruction. So that's, that's important. And then you can also, you again, use that as a, a teachable moment where you can show them how the context of the sentence might show that that antonym is an antonym in the opposite form of the word. Right. Right. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I do think that using opposites is a great way of teaching as well. Um, but uh, I just. But yeah. you don't want them to associate that opposite with the definition. Right. 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 Yeah. And so, I think the same goes with idioms, too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Really explicit when you're teaching idioms. And you may assume that some of your students know idioms um, that seem common to you or are common in your own colloquialism. Um, but that may or may not be true. I, you know. um, every teacher always asks me, like, where should I start when looking at my map data? And I usually tell them, look at your vocabulary. And I say, I guarantee you, when you look at the continuum of skills, that idioms is going to be on there. Because after all these years of doing the map test, that's one of the weaknesses I see on almost every student's map scores is that they need to work on idioms more. And so I tell the teachers, why don't you just start with idioms? Um, and we, um, so the sixth grade teacher, now we did that one day uh, recently, and I couldn't believe how many of the students didn't know very simple ones, like on the ball or on the fence. I mean, I, I use those in my everyday speech. That, I guess I guess I use a lot of idioms in my speech, but I thought that those were so obvious to the students or something like hit the nail on the head or on the other hand, and they don't really know what those mean. And so these poor students, I think, are just sitting there sometimes like only understanding about 60% of what we say. <laughs> they're missing some of the tier two vocabulary words and they're missing some of the, <laughs> the idioms and they're just sort of kind of cobbling together an understanding of what we're saying. And it's not 100% accurate of our language intention. And so we have to be really explicit about teaching this vocabulary and weaving it into our everyday instruction and not just doing it like the month of April or, or March, exactly. like I used to do right. um, in my third grade class. So um, I shared the routine that the sixth grade teacher and I are now doing every single week with our wonders vocabulary. Um, and I'm happy to share 
the um, a link to that um and y'all can it can just be like a copy google link and y'all are welcome as listeners to copy and use that for your own use there's also some other links in our show notes um, that some other generous teachers online have shared with instructional routines for teaching vocabulary words and one thing that all of those have in common is no matter what the routines are is teaching the students a student-friendly definition you don't have to stick to the dictionary definition those sound very forced and nobody's going to remember those. So make it a student-friendly definition. That's the important part is for students to build up their bank of vocabulary words. And you do that by using student-friendly definitions. Um, one uh, source in particular that I really, really love on our show notes is from a teacher named Laura Webb. And she posted on Twitter about 10 quick vocabulary words. And 10, sorry, 10 quick vocabulary activities. And she shares very explicit instruction about how she does it with their middle school and high school students, but it could be adjusted even to elementary level and using examples and non-examples and positive and negative connotations with those words and using them with visuals and using them with different contexts and different morphology clues. And at the bottom of her resource, she shares um, the slideshow and also the Google doc that she uses to, um, create these for her students each week. And so I think that those would be a great resource to use as well. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's those um, routines are so nice. We have another resource too, um, that I just really love too. And it's the routine for explicit vocabulary instructions. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one is so great. Number one, have students say the word. Number two, ding, 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 provide a definition of the word using student friendly explanations and visuals. Ding, 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 again, student-friendly. Um, three, have the student discuss what is known about the word, provide examples and non-examples yet again. And so just making sure that we have this um, really, uh, I don't know, grounded um, way of deep processing activities. And just like I had mentioned before, using graphic organizers or making sure that those visuals are really clear um, for the students to be able to see them. And again, like stu- like uh Shannon had mentioned before having students act out the word. Mm -hmm. And then um, something that I feel so, so, so strongly about is making sure that you create the scaffold for students. Um, So there's um, a little tip on here that says, remember the seven up rule, powerful sentences are usually seven words and up. And so Mm -hmm. I, I hadn't heard that before. I think that that's a really wonderful way to do it too, but make sure that um, you scaffold it. So if you, Students need to um, have a sentence starter and then they finish. We do it. that in the sixth grade class all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'll say, okay, it, you know, I told you they have a hard time with those noun forms of sentence words and using it in a sentence. So I'll say, okay, you can either use the word as the subject, but that's a little harder. So let's try to use it as the object of the verb. It, you know, in the predicate, it's a little easier. So let's start with a different subject. So who is doing some action, subject doing an action. So I made the adjustment. I showed the adjustment. The adjustment was made by blank. And then we give them, we'll say orally, a whole bunch of different sentence starters. And the students usually will take that and run with it if they need it. And otherwise, they can come up with their own. Um, I like when you were just talking about the instructional routines. I was looking a little deeper into that resource. And um, the teacher and I do this a lot, too, in the sixth grade class where we will do um, different questioning to make sure the students process 
the meanings of those words. And they have routines for that here as well um, that are suggested. So like you can say yes or no questions like, um, is this an adjustment or is this an adjustment? You know, is it an adjustment to move the furniture in my room, my room or is it an adjustment to change the height of my chair? And they have to say which one of those is an adjustment or I'm um, you could say this is a completion activity. I was very persistent when, and the students have to show an example of persistence to be able to complete that sentence correctly. Yeah, And so encouraging that deep use of the vocabulary is really, really, really important. You know, um, we're talking so much about um, explicit instruction, but I often have parents come to me too and say, how can I help increase my kids' vocabulary? Mm-hmm. And the number one way is read aloud. When yes. you are having a read aloud discussion and you come across a word, model your thinking with it. Well, there's and- a routine for that too in that right. resource. And so it said, step one, provide background knowledge needed to enhance understanding of the story. You could pre-teach two or three words. If you know that they're in the story and that they're going to be difficult, you can pre-teach them. Um, Read story aloud while fast mapping other unknown critical vocabulary words. You could substitute a succinct student-friendly synonym or a brief phrase for the unknown word and then check for understanding with the students. Yep. So Uh, keep it in. And then also, and, and building that relationship again with the with your own child or your student by saying, Hey, I don't know what that word means and telling them it's okay to stop the reading. If you read a word that they didn't know what it meant. Exactly. Yep. And, um, and also trying to build in opportunities for them to stop you to say, Mm -hmm. I don't know what that word meant. Um, And, and allowing that too, or just pausing in the middle of your read aloud. Huh? Uh, I'm creating picture in my mind, but I don't know what this means. Does anybody have a picture in their mind that they can describe? Um, or saying, you know, hey, I want <clears> you to listen for one new word that you learned during the reading today and then talk about it at the end of reading. What was the new word you learned? I learned this word when in this part of the story. What new word did you learn? And then you can talk about it and again, use that word in context with this child. Um, all of this um, is just creating a verbal rich environment in your home, in your classroom to where you're constantly adding to the vocabulary um, of of everyone. Um, A lot of good resources I ordered were from Van Cleave, that website. I told you all I ordered a lot of those with Title I money last year. I got a lot of morphology resources from there. Um, Some neat games with, um, like there was one called Socrates and then Mm. Caesar something. Anyway, it was for Latin and Greek roots. And so it had like a cute little name to teach the Greek and the Latin ones. Um, I do need to order some more. I still am just not great with resources for shades of meaning and those semantic gradients. Um, But I do have one book. I got um, a DK children's illustrated thesaurus and I love that it's illustrated. Um, Mm -hmm. And it has a lot of semantic gradients built in. So like, for example, there's a picture of different cakes and it starts out with the smallest cake being tasty. And then there's two bigger ones that are luscious and yummy. And then two bigger ones that are delectable and scrumptious and then appetizing and mouthwatering and then finally delicious. And so that's showing the students all of those words being sort of the same thing, but they're not really synonyms. Right. They're synonyms, but on a, on a gradient, you know, yeah. <laughs> and so of, of, of intensity. 
Um, and on the next page, they have different words that mean difficult, but problematic or laborious or hard or challenging or tough, arduous. All of those have a different degree um, and shade of meaning. And so I think spending time, it, that could even be just a two minute task each day where you choose a group of words and have the students, you know, put them in order of intensity of what they think. Yeah, I think that's a great activity too. Um, and, you know, if you are working on syllable division, even at that time, um, taking some words that have multi-syllable meanings and shades of meaning, mm -hmm. you can you can definitely build in um, some multiple routines with that. Um, I love that that's another area that I did not feel like I taught well um, was the shades of meaning. I think that's really tricky um, mm -hmm. to make sure that you build in and build it outside, build it with explicit routines rather than just within the context of reading. Um, so. Well, those weren't in this, when I first started teaching, they weren't in the standards. Mm -hmm. Like it was just right. synonyms. And then when the common core came out and then all the other state standards that were based off the common core, starting in first grade, shades of meaning shows up. And that's really where the vocabulary instruction goes. If you read the standards very, very closely, and I just don't think our te um, textbook resources have kept up with that and had enough activities for that and with our students yet. So we'll link in our show notes to some that we've found on FCRR and some other sites that we like. Yeah. Um, but you might have to find some for your own grade level as well. Um, I spoke about at the beginning of this season about um, my phonics units. And when I was creating those all summer, I realized that there are so many more homophones than I realized in English. Like when I taught homophones, I used to just teach like night and night and two and two and there, there and there, and maybe deer and deer. But there were literally like a thousand, <laughs> I mean, thousand that I, that I put just in my phonics units of just so many like sweet S-W-E-E-T versus S-U-I-T-E. Right. You know, and just certain ones that we don't even think of, but, um, but that the students seem to be shown and taught. And so um, I've started taking time with every phonics sound unit and pattern that I'm teaching to, to teach them um, the homophones since they're spelled, since they sound the same, but are spelled differently. That's an opportunity to show some irregularity as of spellings or to show, um, multiple ways to spell the same sound pattern and things like that. And so it's been a teachable moment to include vocabulary and in with my phonics instruction. Um, as we were prepping for the show, Shannon threw in a really great resource for that. And it's called Llama Phones. Um, and it's a board book actually. Um, and it has all these illustrations of llamas. So for example, um, pears and pears. And so there's a, a llama within the shape of a pear and it has kind of a gradient um, of like green and red. And then um, next to it, uh, it has um, like pear, like two together pears um, and, and parallel lines. And I, it, it was just really, it's a really darling book, but I think that um, it's got some really great graphics on it. So, and that would I be was, a good book to use as an introduction to get the students right. to start noticing. And then once they start looking for homophones, they'll find them everywhere. That's what I've realized is that once you start looking, you see them everywhere. And actually I was in researching this um, for this episode. I was also looking at one of my favorite vocabulary books that I have, which is called bringing words to life 
by Isabel Beck and some other authors. And Isabel Beck was um, in the introduction was remembering when she was in elementary school in fourth grade, she learned the word earnest and what it meant. And then she started seeing that word everywhere. It's like when you see a red Mercedes and then all of a sudden you see red Mercedes everywhere and you're like, where, why did I not notice those before? And so she was wondering, why didn't everybody notice the word earnest before? Cause now I'm seeing it everywhere. And um, I just thought that was, I, I remember that. Like when I learn a new word, all of a sudden I hear it more frequently or I'm noticing it more frequently. I think that's a great example. Um, yeah, that's perfect. I like that this book too, um, bringing words to life. It shares um, that there's actually four different contexts for words with context clues. I only thought of one before, which is really what we think of, which is directive, which is kind of what you see usually on like a little thematic test that's, you know, I'm going to test and see if the kids can know, you know, using context clues. And that's when they can actually use the context of the paragraph to come up with the definition. And so I'll read a lot from that book and share an example of that directive context. When the cat pounced on the dog, he kept, he leapt up yelping and knocked down a shelf of books. Mother hollered upstairs. What's all that commotion? And the word is commotion. And students can probably derive the meaning of the word commotion just from the context of that paragraph. There's enough information and details from that paragraph to guide the students to the specific and correct meaning. And so that's a directive context. Um, moving up from that is a general context. And that gives the reader enough information to kind of have a a general definition of a meaning of a word, but not a real specific one. So here's an example. Joe and Stan arrived at the party at seven o'clock. By 9.30, the evening seemed to drag for Stan, but Joe really seemed to be having a good time. I wish I could be as gregarious as he is, thought Stan. And so gregarious, you can kind of come up with it. It's an adjective and has something to do with a comparison between Joe and Stan, but you're not quite sure what the definition of gregarious is. And so that's a general context. But then these other two contexts that they bring up in this book, I had never really thought about before, but now that I've seen them, I can see why it's important that we should understand as teachers because they can build a lot of confusion for students if we're not aware of them. So another context is non-directive. And that's where there's just not enough details to give you any meaning of the word. So for example, Dan heard the door open and wondered who had arrived. He couldn't make out the voices. Then he recognized the lumbering footsteps on the stairs and knew it was Aunt Grace. So from that context, we know lumbering is an adjective, but we don't know anything else. It could be gentle footsteps. It could be noisy footsteps. It could be light footsteps, familiar, happy, angry. We don't know. We just know it's an adjective. So that's a non-directive context. And we need to kind of know these contexts so that if we, if a student encounters a word they don't know in their text, we can't just give them, hey, use context clues as a, as a prompt, because there might not be enough context <laughs> to give them a clue of the definition. And that's when you want to be really explicit about what do you do? Yes. So, yes. so the answer is what do you do when you come across a word that you can't figure out? Well, if it's, if it's bold, you can look in the glossary. Or you can right. use the definition or or you can use a dictionary mm -hmm. um, or a thesaurus and see if you can find some other words yeah. that would be similar. 
I so, guide the students to see at least could they figure out the part of speech. Like if the word to, T-O, is in front of it, it's probably going to be a verb. If the word the is in front of it, it's probably going to be a noun or an adjective before the noun or whatever. Because the, sometimes it's the adjective noun. But um, there's one more context I want to say first. So there's also misdirected context. And this is my aha moment reading this book because I would not really been aware of these I guess because we're skilled readers and sometimes sometimes we don't even recognize that we're doing these. But this misdirect of context. Sandra had won the dance contest and the audience's cheers brought her to the stage for an encore. Every step she takes is so perfect and graceful, Jenny said grudgingly as she watched Sandra dance. So if someone doesn't know what the word grudgingly means, if they read that context, they would think grudgingly means something complimentary or a good feeling. Because we know what the word grudgingly means, we know that that's actually like the opposite of what Ginny is feeling. Ginny's kind of angry at watching Sandra dance very nicely. But a student who didn't know what that word meant would be very confused by that context. Yeah, I love I love calling this to attention because I do think it's sometimes um, it's just another element of of all of the things that we're accountable for in teaching our students to become proficient readers. But um, and let me say I, that these they they yeah. said in this book that these four examples were found in basal programs. Oh, wow! I'm I was surprised because I feel like I don't come across them as often. But I really love how you kind of pointed out that as teachers we're skilled readers, so it's probably just under the surface that we don't even recognize that this is something that we often can pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So, and I also think um, sometimes when I come across students who have some language-based um, d- disabilities, not just dyslexia, but um, making sure that they really understand what is the context of before and after or um, mm-hmm. the cause and effect of things where they may not put it in a sequence that is um, the appropriate sequence. So while these are kind of like higher level examples, you may be working in a kindergarten classroom too and still kind of come upon these same types of concepts where um the, the meaning can change if you don't have um, a full clarity of the vocabulary or of the context. Well, that was making me think of cohesive devices as well, mm-hmm. where if a student doesn't know, for example, that the word except means all of these reasons except this reason, then they're not going to realize that that one last thing is a non-example <laughs> versus or a non-reason versus the other things above that were the reason. And so cohesive devices, we're going to talk about this more when we talk about our comprehension episode, but it's if the students can follow that flow of the text and know when something is referring back to something or not referring back to something. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So all that to say is we just have to pay attention to what the students are understanding and vocabulary is a key to reading comprehension. Like right. they have to understand the text at the word level to then understand it at the phrase level, to then understand it at the sentence level, to then understand it at the passage, at the paragraph or the passage level. And so yeah. we do need to do explicit vocabulary instruction to help them understand that word level instruction, to help them understand that word level understanding. And mm-hmm. then we can also teach comprehension strategies to build that you know, paragraph and passage level comprehension, but they both go hand in hand and that the students need to have a good 
vocabulary and good language comprehension and vocabulary comprehension in order to have really good quality reading comprehension. Right. Just, and that's the full development of becoming um, a skilled reader is to make sure that we are, we're building this. So, um, you know, I think for a long time, we have been kind of focusing on phonics instruction because it's tedious and we want to make sure that people are also working on phonics instruction. Well, they've got to be able to sound out the words too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, can't move forward to this unless you're reading what you, uh, you can actually decode those words, but we're really focusing on the part of the brain that's making meaning now and mm-hmm. making connections. And so um, we do not want to gloss over that too much. We're, we're talking about the explicit instruction for a reason um, and just calling attention to uh, better instruction. Well, and going back to the reading brain, you know, we said that so many times that, you know, students already had that pronunciation and meaning connection. But if it's a word that's new to them, then they don't have that pronunciation meaning connection. And so they're kind of building that triangle relationship between sound symbols and meaning all at the same time. And so for some of these new words to them, we have to do a good job about explicitly getting the meaning in their brains correctly and attached to the sounds and the symbols. And that's why I think that the routine that the sixth grade teacher and I have implemented is is effective because we're building those morph- morphology relationships at the same time. And we're building the syntax relationships with the grammar at the same time. And um, the students are starting to use these words and remember them. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the most important thing that you're seeing results. Um but I also think that this is, it just sounds like a really great routine too. So um, thank you for sharing it with us today. You're really... welcome. Well, I w- we were happy to discover it. And um, I feel like I'm a better, I'm better at teaching vocabulary than I was a few months ago. <laughs> yep. And <laughs> that's that it. We're always this. striving. We're always yes. striving for and, I, and And I'm actually, I'm proud of my coworker and I, that we are actually explicitly teaching vocabulary and not just saying, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. We're working on vocabulary. But no, that is, that is a specific part of our reading curriculum now. So Um, I would actually really welcome readers, uh, or I mean, our listeners to share what are some other routines that you do for teaching vocabulary, because I think that the more we share um, these great routines, uh, we can, we can help others. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I will say with my fourth grade group, um, they were doing the wonders vocabulary and it was too hard for them um, because the decoding was too hard for them. And Mm -hmm. so I've adjusted and I started using Wordly Wise as a vocabulary program. And I really like it as well. Um, It has a lot of explicit routines built into the exercises that the sixth grade teacher and I are using. So um, you start off teaching the word collection at at the first time, but then immediately the students go into a ton of application exercises where they have to replace parts of speech. They have to add um, suffixes to make, have subject verb agreement and change the form of the word and um, distinguish between examples and not examples and things like that. So I would say if you're searching for a vocabulary program, um, it's one of the better ones out there. Um, I'm like, I had like an aha moment because I haven't used the wordly wise in so long. Um, but I used to do that as a routine, I think like way back when I was student teaching maybe. (laughs) Um, so, uh, 
Yeah, it's been around for a long time, but those routines are really helpful. And again, it helps students understand those parts of speech, um, which I think that that is sometimes lacking, mm-hmm. especially. In and the then at grades. the end of each wordly wise um, little collection of words, they have a passage with the words in the context and then the kids have to apply the words in writing and use them in sentences. So it really covers the word from start to finish. And the students are are really mastering them. And I was telling Mary before we record that um, the we've, uh, the teacher and I've been doing it for about like six weeks now. And since we've made the change from the wonders vocabulary to that program with that group. And he's like, how do you think it's going? And I said, I'm noticing a difference in the vocabulary, even in their speech, you know, like one of the students, you know, every, I'm always seeing them on Mondays. And so I ask them, how's their weekend as we're walking to the resource room. And one of the students now says, well, apparently this is what I did this weekend. And I had never, I've worked with this kid for three years and I've never heard him use, start a sentence with an adverb, much less apparently. Okay. I love that. <laughs> that's the student who used the word limited in this sentence the other day too. And so almost every one of our little Monday speeches in the last month, I've been stopping him and saying, you used a great word there. You used a great word there. I'm hearing so many tier two vocabulary words sprinkled into his casual conversation with me. And that to me shows that um, their vocabulary is rising. Um, They're also doing well on the wordly wise assessments that we're giving, but I'm seeing a change just in their everyday speech, which I think is even more meaningful. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I think that especially if you're a primary teacher, first and second, uh, kinder and first, probably your kids develop a ton of vocabulary and you're used to hearing them develop new vocabulary, especially in conversation. But second, third, fourth, fifth, it really starts to dwindle. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't pick up as much language, but it is exciting when you do it. And I like, I really appreciate calling attention to it because I think that it encourages. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the students are starting to compliment each other. Like, mm-hmm. you're right, Miss Betts, that was a good word he used or whatever. Yeah, that's so, great. Um, I would challenge our listeners, first off, share with us as we share on social media about this episode. Please tell us what routines you use for teaching vocabulary, how you're teaching vocabulary to your students, how you're working on it, how you're assessing it in, with your students. And if it's something you're not as familiar teaching, um, how can you add more vocabulary instruction to your literacy program? Yeah. Yeah. We're excited to hear what you have to say. And we'll also link to some of our favorite vocabulary activities from um, FCRR too. Yeah. And like I said, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like um, that sixth grade teacher and I didn't want to have to get wordly wise for every single one of the students. We just tweaked what was in the basal to make it a more language rich vocabulary instruction. And so we're using the wonders vocabulary that's already provided, but in a way that teaches a lot more than just those eight words each week. Great. So thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to, to continue the conversation about vocabulary with you. Till next time. <laughs>